Trauma Therapist Podcast, episode 484. Are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support, and it is 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and wherever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L dot com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. All right, guys, welcome to the. Are you tired of spending countless hours buried under mountains of progress notes or clinical notes? It's time to focus on what truly matters, which is providing exceptional care to your clients. Introducing Text Expander, your ultimate solution to help you streamline documentation and boost your productivity. I've been using Text Expander for years, and it's one of the tools I use every single day. If you're a therapist, if you're a coach, any content or text you use on a regular basis in your progress notes, for example, your name, address, or even longer forms, paragraphs of notes or sections of reports, you can create a shortcut for it. Text Expander automatically populates entire paragraphs of text, saving you valuable time and effort, and it allows you to get back to what truly matters your clients. Text Expander is offering the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners 20% off when you go to textexpander.com slash trauma. That's textexpander.com slash trauma. Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to support a new trauma therapist just starting out on their trauma-informed journey. I do that through this podcast and my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0. If you're a therapist of any kind interested in learning about trauma and you're looking for support and inspiration, I invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 by going to traumatherapist2.com. That's Trauma Therapist, the number two. Com. All right, let's get started. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. I'm very excited to have as my guest today, Dr. Russell Kennedy. Russ, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. All right. So it's rare to find a physician who actually has a condition they specialize in treating. But that's definitely true for Dr. Russell Kennedy. For decades, Dr. Kennedy has struggled with debilitating anxiety. After 30-plus years of traditional therapies and medications that didn't help, he became frustrated and took his emotional recovery into his own hands. Dr. Kennedy has traditional degrees in medicine and neuroscience, but it's been his distinctly non-mainstream personal practices that he found were missing in his own healing. And um, that's what we're going to talk about today. So. All right. So, Russ, before we get started here, share with the listeners um, where you're calling from. Oh, I'm from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, close to okay. Vancouver, BC. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And are you from there originally? 
Yeah, I mean, I was born in Ontario, and then it's, it's a story actually about my father who was schizophrenic, and then he decided when uh, I was 10 years old that he was going to move from Ontario, hitchhike from Ontario to the farthest west place he could go, which was Victoria, British Columbia, which is just above Seattle. So mm-hmm. that's how we got here, and you know, I went to university here in Victoria, um, and then I went back to Ontario for med school. But uh, yeah, I, I, but I've lived either in Ontario or in British Columbia. I like British Columbia quite a bit better. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this was interesting. You know, when I was reading about you, um, I had an immediate connection because I have anxiety. It's been something that I've struggled with for a long time. So I'm very curious and interested to hear uh, about your story. So let's, let's dive in here. Yeah. Um, how, did, how did all this start? <laughs> Well, I was born a poor sheriff <laughs> with only three legs. Wait, let, let me get my 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 banjo. <laughs> I was a stand-up comic for 15 years as well as a doctor. So I would do my doctor shift at the urgent clinic in the daytime and then go do stand-up at night. So I'll try and throw in as much humor as, as I can. But the way the way this started was I grew up with a father who was schizophrenic and bipolar, right? So and I've always been really sensitive. You know, my brother is less sensitive than I am. He's able to kind of emotional stuff kind of rolls off his back. But for me, I kind of I kind of take that. And, you know, one of the things that I, I've talked about and, and noticed in my practice is the eldest uh, person of the same sex. So the eldest child of the father, the eldest son of the father, the lion's share of a lot of his, their, his emotional problems. Same with the mother, the eldest female of the mother seems to get the, the lion's share mm-hmm. of the Now, not always, but it's just something I've noticed when, I, when I'm dealing with people, you know, a lot of them are firstborns. You know, I, 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 there's a preponderance of firstborns in, in the people that I work with, with anxiety and that kind of thing. I don't know if your, your brother was born before you or after you, but. He was born before me. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we all, we all have our different, are different ways of doing it too. And it depends also on your level of sensitivity as well. So if you're a very sensitive person in general, you'll tend to take on that sort of almost Mm -hmm. caregiving role with your parent if there is trauma in the household. So for me, there was a lot of trauma with my dad. You know, he was never abusive or violent, but he would lose, you know, he'd he'd lose touch with reality or he'd be up for four days in mania or he'd be so depressed that he'd be suicidal. So as a, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old boy, I didn't really know what the hell to do with it. And one of the things that I start off in my book is I start off with the fact that he had tried to commit suicide and the ambulance was taking him away. And I was looking outside this window of my place of our house and just seeing my father, you know, the guy who had taught me how to play chess and to ride a bike and to swim and fish and all that kind of stuff, you know, kind of being hauled off, not in a straitjacket, but you know, a kind of a similar thing like restraint and sent off to the mental hospital. And I remember sitting there watching him, you know, stunned and just thinking, you know, one day, one day I'm going to make this mean something, you know, I didn't know about, I didn't know I was going to be a doctor at the time. I had no idea, but I remember all this craziness is going to make sense. Now it never made sense. Like eventually he committed suicide when he was 26, when I was 26 and he was 52. But since then, I have been able to, you know, develop a medical career, career in neuroscience, developmental psychology, and, and kind of an homage to my dad and try to be able to give people what I didn't get, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't want people to suffer like I did 
with anxiety because I know the, the main thing, the main problem with anxiety that I see it, guys, is that people make it worse in, in trying to make it better. Your ego is trying to tell you, hey, think this, think this, think this. But every time you think something, you're overthinking. And overthinking is one of the hallmarks of anxiety. So your ego is actually trying to get you to do something, which may have been helpful as a child to kind of overthink and be hypervigilant. But after you're, you know, coming to adulthood, that kind of, you can't ride that until the wheels come off anymore because mm-hmm. it'll affect your emotional state. You won't be able to hold that on forever. So for me, I became this hypervigilant and then I sort of just really decided that I wanted to help other people not have to go through the same thing that I do. Show them what your brain does to actually make you anxious when you believe you're actually helping yourself because there's nothing worse than doing something that you believe is helping you when it's actually digging you deeper into a hole. So that was a long answer, (laughs) drawn out, spread out answer. But basically the short version is my dad was schizophrenic, mentally ill, and uh, I became a physician to try and, you know, almost heal him, you know, posthumously in a way, you know, and heal him in my own mind, uh, which I, I have for the most part. You know, and Gabor talks about that. Gabor Mate talks about, you know, you can only take somebody so far as you've done in your own emotional work. And most of us, you know, if, especially if you choose somatic therapy, you know, my wife's a somatic trauma therapist too. She's done the SCP program with Peter Levine. And we're all pretty intuitive. You know, I noticed that all the people she works with, they're all pretty intuitive. I also noticed that they question their intuition so much. And one of the messages that I would get early on in this little interview that we're doing is to really trust your intuition. If you have that intuition, you could be wrong, you know, but so many of us, I know early part of my career, I was afraid to be wrong. Like I would get these images of somebody and I'd be afraid to be wrong. And that would actually block me from getting more of this intuition mm-hmm. as I, you know, pass through therapy and help people along. So really, you know, the thing that a message I would get out, like first and foremost is don't mistrust your intuition don't doubt yourself you could be wrong and you know what so what right but, right but it becomes a way of if you start second guessing intuition there's nothing that blocks intuition faster than getting into your left brain analytical mind and trying to overthink it so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you had this experience with your father at what point russ did you realize that you had anxiety and talk a little bit about, um, you know, as we mentioned in, in your, in the intro, in the bio, you were utilizing quote unquote traditional uh, therapies and treatments and so forth. And when you realized those weren't working and, you know, take it from there. Yeah, sure. Well, I realized when I was about 18 that something wasn't quite right. I looked at my brother because he grew up in the exact same household and he seemed to be excuse me, he seemed to be doing fine emotionally, you know, whereas I was experiencing these, you know, these sympathetic nervous system flushes all the time. And then the mind that would race along with them. So I didn't know exactly what anxiety was at that particular time, but my system was certainly in a deep state of alarm. So, and I even say that in the book, I said, I don't really like it when people call it anxiety because it doesn't really relay any meaning. I'd rather you call it alarm because that's exactly what's happening. And when you say you're out for lunch with someone and you say, I'm I'm having anxiety, they may not have a clue of what you're talking about. But if you say, I feel really alarmed today, Mm -hmm. everyone's been alarmed. Everyone knows how you feel at that point. So 
I guess it's, I looked at my brother, I looked at me and I just thought there's gotta be, there's gotta be a different way of, of processing this and having me understand what's going on. So I didn't really know what anxiety was until I probably was in my early twenties. And then I kind of found out, Oh, you know, this is, this is probably what it is. And I saw a couple of psychiatrists because my father, you know, they thought, well, you know, the father's crazy. We might as well check him out too. Just mm-hmm. to make sure he's okay. And and also to provide me with some support too. Like I had some really good psychiatrists looking after me when I was, uh, you know, kind of late teens, early 20s, because they knew what kind of trauma I was going through with my dad being admitted to the mental hospital and all that kind of stuff. So they were kind of showing me what was happening with me. And then at the time I was going through med school and I found neuroscience, which I just loved. And uh, I took every course that I could. And I even talked to one of the profs after I'd taken all the neuroscience courses they had to make me one, you know, so he made me a special path for neuroscience. That's what got me into med school. And then I went to a med school that has the highest amount of neurology of any med school in Canada and uh, finished that and then came back to practice as an MD. And that was frustrating. Mm. I'll let you in there because you know the thing is you got to stop me. You got to stop no, me. No, no, no. Okay, okay. My, my mind. This is how my mind works. I just go off on tangent after tangent after tangent. That's that's <laughs> fine here. Free to so, go. Hey, hey, so talk. Okay. Talk I a little. I was looking for. Talk a little bit about your experience with again the traditional therapies and how you realized they weren't helping, and then how you sought the kind of non-traditional therapies and how they worked for you. Yeah, I mean, I think there was this big push in the 70s with gestalt therapy and that kind of stuff too. this, you know, that if you get it out, there's some sort of catharsis that would happen, you know, like, oh, you know, I found out that I was physically abused and or I was, you know, emotionally abused or whatever. And now I know how it happened. And my older brother used to beat me. I'm I'm just making all this isn't my life, but I was just making it up. My older brother used to beat me from the time I was 12 till I was 16. And now I know what he did to me. So now I'm better. And you know, Bessel van der Kolk talks about that too. It's like just talking about it doesn't change it. In fact, it can be re-traumatizing in people. Now, I do believe that we have to have what Daniel Siegel calls a coherent narrative to explain our lives. You know, if you would have asked me about my father five years ago, I'd say, well, he was crazy and he killed himself and he really put the family through a lot of trauma. Now, if you would ask me yesterday, what do you think about your dad? I'd say, well, my dad really loved me. You know, he showed me how to do all these things like ride a bike and play chess. And he was really connected to me until, you know, his illness got a hold of him. And then I kind of lost him. But, you know, I was able to like reconnect with him and really feel him now. And I really feel a connection with him now, more so now almost than when he was alive, when he was sick. When, when I was very young, I felt very connected to him. And when he got sicker and sicker and sicker, I went into defensive detachment because it just wasn't safe to love him anymore because I would love him. And then I would see him either go manic or schizophrenic or so depressed that he couldn't get out of bed. So it was, it wasn't safe for me to be emotionally connected to him anymore. So I extrapolated that out to many of my relationships. I've been divorced twice. I've been married three times, you know, and now I see, I look back and I see like I was afraid to love because I was afraid of what love meant because in loving my father, loving someone just meant you were going to get hurt when they ultimately collapsed, which they always did. So, mm-hmm. again, my typical rambling style—that's where I'm at. So, in the in the in your bio, you talked about uh, your experience in with yoga and other therapies. 
And that, that to me reminds me of what you were talking about before with the power of intuition and so forth. I just, I'm curious about your discovery of those kind of treatments and how they helped you. Can you speak to that? All right, guys, I want to welcome back Talkspace as a sponsor to this podcast. You know, when you're busy, like we all are, the first thing that falls to the bottom of the list usually tends to be taking care of yourself. I don't have time or money for that, people often tend to say. Many people think that therapy is just about analyzing dreams or digging into painful memories, both of which can be very powerful. We know that. But it's also a great tool for developing coping skills, dealing with stress, and getting the accountability you need to achieve your goals. The bottom line is that life can be hard, and Talkspace wants to make sure more of us get the support we need at a price we can afford. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or, or download the app. Make sure to use the code TRAUMATHERAPIST to get $100 off your first month and show your support for this show. Once again, go to Talkspace.com and use the code TRAUMATHERAPIST. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I guess I'll just tag back to, to your previous question about you know, I went through psychiatry, I went through psychology, I went through like EMDR, I went through, you know, um, different therapies, and they would help for the short term, but they really didn't help me in the long term. Wow. And, and I was always looking for something that was just, you know, I was still, I was still feeling pretty anxious or and it didn't really nothing. And I kept having this faith of maybe this therapy will help. Maybe mm-hmm. this therapy. And I did just about everything but frog venom therapy, you know. Um, and I have done just about every therapy, but you know, because I, I'm really dedicated to finding the the truth about anxiety and finding what people can really do, not not mm-hmm. what traditional psychiatrists, psychologists tell you to do, because they're mostly trained in a university setting that requires some sort of, you know, academic on some level. So you walk in there, they hand you a questionnaire, you score five, you know, out of 10. And then when you leave, you score two out of 10 and they say, wow, you're way better. You, you know, but that's not something that you can do humanistically, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why my issue with CBT as well is that you really have to connect with people. And that's what I, that's why what really draw drew me to your, podcast was, you know, somatic therapy is really something that has so much more effectiveness than just sitting across from someone for an hour and talking about your, your worries and your fears and, you know, what, where you came from. I used to have a joke I used to do on stage about that. I used to say, you know, if you had a, if you had a leak in your house, in your house and you had a plumber come by and charge you a hundred dollars a week for five years and in five years, that leak wasn't a whole lot better. Will you keep paying that guy? You know, and I'm not against, you know, talk therapy. I, again, with Dan Siegel and the coherent. But what we're missing in traditional therapy is this, this sense of the body. You know, the mm. body keeps the score. The body, you know, holds these traumas. And, you know, I, I have a term for that, too. I call it background alarm because it's alarm from your childhood and your back that has unresolved. It's sitting in your body, which is a reflection of the unconscious mind, and it had to go into your body to get out of your head so that you could think semi-clearly. But when you get, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, that starts to fog your mind up. It starts mm-hmm. that that coping strategy of just stuffing everything down doesn't work anymore. Things show up in your body. You start getting, you know, physical illness, which I would see as a medical doctor. And so my gift was to be able to see people 
And I could tell if their ailment, most of the time, I can't say all the time, but most of the time I could tell if their ailment was from their past or it was from actually a physical illness, you know, mm-hmm. like a bowel cancer or something like that. So I, I do have some sort of clear sentient. I, I don't like talking about it too much, but this sort of not psychic, I wouldn't say that, but I have this ability to kind of tell whether or not where your trauma is coming from mm-hmm. and, and direct you, you know, to the best possible method you can use to move past it. And that's kind of my gift. That's kind of my superpower. And uh, I couldn't do that in medicine. Like in medicine, I can't touch people for one. Uh, in medicine, I've got to, you know, I've got to give them medication, which I'm, it's, is life-saving in some places, but is really over-prescribed because GPs, doctors, um, medical doctors aren't really trained in psychotherapy. They, and, and Gabor talks about this too. I mean, he talks about in medical school, we don't get any mention of the body outside of, you know, the kidney, the liver, this, this ailment, this disease, this pathology. Um, there's no addressing it at all. And do that, you sort of separate yourself out into this sort of reductionist paradigm where you're only left with medication at that point. And if you're not trained, if, if, you, if I'm a GP and I have no training in, in psychotherapy and you come in and see me with anxiety, you're going to get a medication. You're no training. I also have no time. I don't have half an hour, 45 minutes to really work you through this. So if I'm, I'm going to give you a pill. So I, I used to say to people, it's like, don't go to the hardware store looking for peanut butter. Don't go to, don't go to medical doctors thinking you're going to get psychotherapy because you're going to get a medication, right. you know? So most of the time there are brilliant psychiatrists, there are brilliant doctors, but sure. in general, most of the time, don't go looking for peanut butter in the hardware store because you're not going to find it. You're going to get a medication. So I know I went off there, but I, I think it's just, it's just, so much of the trend now is to go towards psychedelics. You know, we're doing ketamine assisted psychotherapy now, which I think is great because it bypasses that ego and, and moving into somatics. Like, where do you feel that in your body? Pendulation, you know, all these Peter Levine treatments taught what he talks about um, and moving it and sort of moving the energy so that you can go back into the, into the body again, because I really believe that what worry is, is basically this massive distraction from going back into the body because the body is what's holding your old trauma. So if you, if you are avoiding your old trauma by worry and worry is a distraction, the worries get more and more, they get stronger as time goes by because they have to, the the worries have to become stronger and stronger and stronger in order to keep you away from that feeling state in your body. So what I try and teach people is how to go, how to create a safe place in your body so that you have a place to go there. So you don't have to be stuck in your head all the time. So that's, and that's kind of what I, what I wanted to talk about it in this trauma therapy is, you know, trust your instincts, know that people worry and, and the, they increase their worry because they are so petrified about going back into their body that you have to allow them to kind of titrate that. And the other thing is mm-hmm. I'm talking kind of fast today, but just the, the pace that psychotherapy goes at is way too fast. You know, the, the, the mind goes so much faster than the body and just to take it slowly and just to allow people to sit and settle and find and, and regulate your nervous system. You know, that thing that Dan Siegel talks about that human resonance circuitry, you know, that goes through the insulin superior temperature gyrus and all this stuff so that you match with that other person, you give yourself a chance to really match and then you can start regulating in their nervous system provided yours is, is regulated as well. 
So let me just remind everyone that I'm speaking with Dr. Russell Kennedy. Um, so you're, correct me if I'm wrong here. So you, are you your GP, general practitioner? Yep. Okay. And when people come to you, uh, are you seeing primarily people who are on the anxiety scale? Or are you just seeing... When I was still practicing, because I, I retired in 2013, because what would happen is I would someone would come in and see me, and this would happen throughout my career. I could see that their their illness that they came in with, whether it was a bladder infection or a sore shoulder or whatever, was as a result of their childhood trauma. And I, as a GP, I couldn't deal with that in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if I can see trauma in someone's background, I'm not going to bring that up in a walk-in clinic because it, it blows people apart. And I know I don't have the time. So I got frustrated. I got burned out. And then I went into a place where I can actually spend some time with people. And and then when I read them, I can see where their, where their, tro- their troubles is. And then I can kind of show them the path that they could take from that point. And 99% of the time is they have trauma buried in their body. That they're just afraid to go back into it and access. So I show them how to do that. And I think all the somatic trauma therapists, I think that's basically what we're doing is Mm -hmm. we're a making people more comfortable with their trauma so that it's not this horrible wizard of Oz. I can't go behind the curtain thing ever again and slowly doing it in a titrated fashion so that they can kind of see like, Hey, this isn't so bad. It's kind of similar to that systematic desensitization that they do with people who are afraid of spiders or afraid of Mm -hmm. something like slowly you introduce it to them. You allow their limbic system and their amygdala to fire up. And then you kind of give them a safe place to go because you regulate with your own nervous system. So they, they get this felt sense that they, they, even in the presence of their phobia, they are still safe. Do it alone. That's why we need somatic trauma therapists. What I what I found so interesting about your experience was that, like you said, like we said in the bio, you've experienced every everything we're talking about here. You know, and and yeah. you've experienced anxiety and the trauma and so forth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's taken me to the wall. Anxiety. When I finished, I when I did ayahuasca back in 2014, I was suicidal for two days. If it wasn't for um, uh, lorazepam. Um, I don't know if I'd still be here, you know, because I was so distraught. It was, it, I was in a place where my, my mind could not settle anywhere, you know, and I couldn't find a solution to where I was at that particular time because I had all these friends, all my comedian friends say, oh yeah, we did ayahuasca. And I don't want, they were alcoholics or some of them and they, I don't have, feel the need to drink anymore. And one said I was totally, totally depressed and suicidal. And now I feel great. And I'm, and I felt great for six months after I did this ayahuasca and I did this ayahuasca and it blew the back of my head off and mm-hmm. it made me want to kill myself, you know? Oh. So it's uh, but I didn't get some, I did definitely get some re- uh, revelations on ayahuasca and LSD that actually has informed me into creating a new theory of anxiety in that anxiety is actually old trauma that's held in the body. It's and just reflected by the mind. It's not, you know, it, there are brain changes without that hippocampal changes. There's basal ganglia changes. There's different parts of the brain that are changed, but I think that it is actually stored in the body. And I don't know how much longer you have guy, but I, you know, I talking about your brother a little bit. Um, has he heard of these stellate ganglion blocks that they're doing for PTSD for combat PTSD? No. Yeah. And is he, does he still struggle with it? Does he still struggle with PTSD? Um, he's doing okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, I haven't asked him in a while, but um, he's certainly managing much better than he was before. 
Yeah, I think only 12, at the time that I saw this report, only 12 VA hospitals were doing it in the States, but it's called a stellate ganglion block. And what it does is the stellate ganglions around C5, the cervical C5 in your neck. And what they do is they put a long acting um, local anesthetic in there. And what the, the stellate ganglion does is it transmits a lot of sympathetic autonomic activity into the brain. So what basically they're doing is they're blocking this sympathetic overreaction from the gut and mm. lower structures into the brain. So what will happen is they inject these guys and within 30 seconds, they're like new men. Like they don't feel mm. that, that weight, that crushing weight, because when you're in combat, your body knows that it could be killed at any time. And so does your mind. But when you come back, your mind knows that you, you're not going to be killed at any time, but your body is still there. So what they've done is they, they block this with a local anesthetic. And then when the, the noise comes down from their body, this constant, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. We have to keep vigilant. When that is blocked, then they can start doing therapy. And then you know, their families are saying, you know, he, he pets the dog, he, he, you know, he stopped drinking, we caught him singing the other day. Like it, it changes the way, and which is, it goes along with my theory of PTSD and anxiety as trauma that's held in the body. And just as this kind of, right. it kind of just resonates. And the mind really never has a chance to, to see clearly because it's always, you know, swimming in this sea of cortisol and epinephrine and, and, uh, and trauma. And, you know, it's like, you can't do an algebra problem when you're being chased by a lion. It just doesn't work. Right, right. Wow. So it might be something so, for him to look into anyway. I'll, yeah, definitely. I'll have him uh, check that out. Um, so do you work with uh, therapists? Do you have... I consult with therapists. Okay. You know? I, I don't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff anymore because I find just that sort of, I hate to use the word again, but that sort of psychic clair, clairsentient sense that I have, like that being able to read people's energy. And, you know, as an MD saying that, I feel like I should have a seizure or something like that because it's just so <laughs> antithetical from my right. medical doctor roots, you know. But I would find that I would see into people and some of the traumas are really disturbing. And, and it, it's hard for me because I am so sensitive because I absorb some of that trauma from them. So I, I limit the amount of one-on-one -on -one work that I do. And okay. mostly now I do writing and, um, and teaching, you know, and the COVID thing, of course, has sort of thrown a, a big wrench into that. But for the last, you know, six months, especially, I mean, I've been writing this book for a long time, but for the last six months, especially, I've just been burying my head, finishing this book. And just before we got on a call, I was doing the cover and, you know, it's just like an endless, there is an endless supply. I had no idea writing a book. Med school was, was easier than writing wow. this. Wow. Well, we'll have to have you back when you get the book published and we can talk sure. about that too. So what's the best way, uh, Russ, for people to get in contact with you? Probably my website. So um, you can use theanxietymd.com or the easier one is just Dr. Russ with a hyphen between the two R's. So it's D-R hyphen R-U-S-S. And okay. that gets you to my website. It tells you all about my crazy history and all the crazy psychedelics I've done and living in India and being a yoga teacher and a stand-up comic. It's all in there. Well, wow. now in terms of resources, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of therapists, coaches, survivors are listening to this. Um, any book recommendation, whether anxiety or trauma related or not, that uh, you want to share? Yeah, you know, I mean, The Body Keeps the Score is great. I think it's, it's you know, 
for me, the and my book, when it comes out, I think will be kind of revolutionary because it kind of tells it in a storytelling fashion. You know, I have all the academic credentials, but I like I like storytelling, and that's why I'm a stand-up comedian. I like telling stories, and that's how I, I teach through the book as well. So uh, the book will be called Anxiety Rx. It comes out October the 5th, so about a month from now. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so it's soon. There's Awakened Village Press is the people that are publishing it. And, uh, but you'll be able to see it on my website. You know, if you go to drrust.com, you'll be able to find links to it. Also, I have, um, a hypno meditation. I, I studied hypnosis for quite a while and meditation as well. I'm a certified yoga and meditation teacher. So I combined hypnosis, meditation and brainwave entrainment. Um, you know, so we get people in alpha waves and I made a thing. So it, it allows you to kind of calm your anxiety down on a regular basis and then through your subconscious. And that's on my website too. If you just look up a hypno, hypno meditations on my website, uh, you'll see it there. And uh, a lot of people have told me that it really helps them sleep. It really helps them wow, um, awesome. get a new framework on, on anxiety because it really is just, well, it's not only hyperthinking, but that's a massive part of it because when you think so much, your alarm in your body never has a chance to release. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Russ. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Um, I just appreciate you sharing your story and, and being out there. Um, I love the work you're doing, man. Thanks, Guy. I really appreciate it. You know, I was a little a little uh, wired today because I'm, tr- I'm trying to finish this book, and I've been, it's been on my system now for the last week. I've been going at it pretty hard, like 15 hours a day. So I'm a little fried, and that's why I talk a little faster today. But uh, but thanks for having me, and thanks for the work that you do, man. It's really it's really really critical that we pull people together with this new paradigm of of looking towards more of a somatic focus uh, than this you know this constant focus on cognitive therapies because you know they help they help but they're 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 only part of the story all right awesome all right man take care thanks guy all right 